0: Old Testament reading, Isaiah 59. We'll read the entire chapter. It's a wonderful chapter. Uh, We here are listening to Isaiah the prophet who ministered before the time of Christ, and he is ministering to the people of Israel, saying, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save, nor is His ear dull that He cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from one that is crushed a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they have made. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace." Therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind, we grope like those who have no eyes, we stumble at noon as in the twilight, among those in full vigor we are like dead men. We all growl like bears, we moan and moan like doves, we hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sin testify, our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord, and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, concealing and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. We might say here, there is nothing new under the sun, brothers and sisters. But the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak According to their deeds, so will He repay. Wrath to His adversaries, repayment to His enemies. To the coastlands, He will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and His glory from the rising of the sun. For He will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives, and a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgressions, declares the Lord." And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. So here we hear this condemnation of Israel for all of their injustice, but also we hear this wonderful promise of a coming Savior, a coming Redeemer. Indeed, Christ Jesus our Lord has come And He will, indeed, judge the earth in righteousness on the last day. Let us go now to Ephesians 6 and look at verses 10 through 20. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So far the reading of God's most holy word, may He add His blessing to the preaching of it this morning. In Ephesians six ten through 20, which we have just read, we find the very last and major section of, of Paul's letter to the F- church in Ephesus. Uh, you will notice that there is also a final greeting found in six twenty-one through twenty-four. We will eventually consider this as well, but six ten through twenty is the last major section in the body of Paul's letter, and it is a grand finale. Uh, here the apostle, by way of conclusion, exhorts the church to be strong in the Lord. To prepare themselves for battle, to take up their spiritual armor, and having done all of this, to stand firm against the evil one in the evil day. It is really a rousing conclusion to his letters, to to his letter here. Based upon all that he has previously taught, he concludes with a call to arms, a call to the church to put up a vigorous spiritual fight as they sojourn in this world. This portion of Paul's letter is perhaps the most well-known and beloved portion. And I think it is for good reason. It is here that he lists for the Christian the pieces of spiritual armor that are ours in Christ Jesus. In Christ we have a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness, and shoes for our feet that is the readiness of the gospel of peace. Faith is our shield, salvation is our helmet, and the Word of God is our sword. And so in Christ we are well equipped for life in this world which is here described as a great battle. And So it is no wonder that Christians throughout the ages have, have loved this text for it is deeply encouraging to know that God has provided for our every need in Christ Jesus so that we can indeed stand firm in the evil day. It would be possible, I suppose, to consider all the verses 10 through 20 in just one sermon. These verses, they do belong together. But I've decided to consider... What a privilege it is to worship, huh? And uh, what a privilege it is to pray. Um, Hi, <laughs> I'm Aaron. Um, Pastor Mark asked me to do this. That startled so, um, me. When the band sings that song, um, walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. Man, when you look at 2020 and you look at when we shut down in March. be We okay? Is it is it able to get to us from the other service somehow? Maybe. If that happens again, just shut the whole thing down, and I'll just project really loudly. My goodness. We can all say we've been shook. And um,
1: here we go To able to
0: fall on that foundation, to be able to make the statement. I guess we have we a different preacher this morning. That, that your promises still stand. Got it. You got it? It was, on there, it was going in through the, the guitar, the guitar panel. Jeez. You remember those days when we had no technical difficulties back at Dung Valley Middle School? None at all. For like seven years straight. What are you listening to during the week for the for, vote? Is that like a. We'll, we're going to talk. We're going to talk. <clears throat> Let's refocus. It would be possible, I suppose, to consider all of verses 10 through 20 in one sermon. Uh, these verses, they do belong together, as I've said. Um, they are that grand finale, that rousing conclusion that Paul presents to the church in Ephesus. But I've, been, I've decided to consider this passage in three parts so that we might carefully glean from the riches that are, that are here. In verses 10 through 13, we find the initial command to be strong in the Lord and to dress for battle, knowing that we have an enemy in the heavenly realm who is fierce. In verses 14 through 17 the command to stand firm is repeated and then there is this call to spiritual arms. But here the Christian spiritual armor is detailed for us. Again we have been provided with a belt, a breastplate, shoes for our feet, a shield, a helmet, and a sword. It's a very encouraging text there. And finally in verses 18 through 20 there is a call to prayer. And prayer is so crucial to the Christian life. It is so integral to the process of dressing for battle and to our standing firm that it is given special attention by the Apostle. We are commanded to to dress ourselves for battle, but then the Apostle tells us how we are to do this. Well, one of the ways we are to do this, verse 18, we are to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. In other words, the Christian is to dress for battle and to stand firm through prayer. And so, there is so much to consider in this passage that I think it is best to take it in three parts. We'll only be considering verses 10 through 13 today. In verse 10, we find a command. And it is a command. In the Greek, it is certainly a command. Finally, the Apostle says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The word finally here does indicate that Paul is bringing his letter to a conclusion. But it also communicates that this is what Paul wants his readers to devote themselves to in response to all that he has said. Finally, devote yourself to this is the idea that Paul is communicating. Ba in his commentary on Ephesians suggests that we use the word henceforth to bring the meaning of this Greek word across. Henceforth, from now on, and in conclusion, grow strong and in the Lord and in the strength of His might. It's The translation that Ba provides, I think it is a good one. Finally, that is to say from now on, and in light of all that I have said, grow strong in the Lord. That is the command. And as I've said, we are to notice that it is a command. We are to not neglect this command. Be strong in the Lord, the text says. We might also use the English word grow to bring across the progressive aspect of the Greek present tense. Grow strong in the Lord. Be growing strong as Christians always and so, a Christian who is complacent, who is leaning back in his spiritual chair with his spiritual feet up, if you will, is in fact disobeying this command from the apostle. The Christian is always to be pursuing more maturity and strength in Christ. Complacency in the Christian life is deadly. That is one thing I want for you to take away from this sermon. Complacency in the Christian life is deadly, apathy is very dangerous. For we must remember that we are not at home. Instead, we are sojourners and exiles in this world. We are not living in peacetime. Instead, we are at war, as we will see. And so I might ask you, even by way of application, even now, is there anything more dangerous than for a man to live as if there is peace all around him, when in reality there is a war raging outside, a fierce enemy at the gates? I would say that that man, a man who has grown complacent in wartime, is in very grave danger. And I might add, is that true of you? Have you grown complacent? Are you living in this world as if there is peace all around? Have you let down your guard? As Paul brings his letter to a conclusion, he wishes to leave his readers with something, and that is the command to grow strong. Grow strong, brothers and sisters. Do not grow weak. Do not plateau in Christ or be complacent, but instead be constantly growing strong in Him. This is your responsibility. It is something that you, as a Christian, must choose to do, and we must do it until the Lord calls us home. I'm reminded of what Paul revealed to us back in 3.14 of his epistle. There he revealed to us the content of his prayers, saying, And so we know that Paul prayed for the Ephesians, and for all who are in Christ, that they would be strengthened in the inner being. We know that he believed that if they were to be strengthened, it would be because God by His grace had granted it. We know that if they were to be strengthened, it would be the work of the Spirit, and we know that this strength would come about only as the Christians there in Ephesus grew in love and faith and in their comprehension of the love of Christ for them. There in 3:14 through 19 Paul revealed to us that he prayed for these things for Paul knew that God does work through the prayers of his people but here in 6:10 he commands the Christians to do these things he's prayed for it but now he says finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and I do hope that we like the apostle are faithful in prayer But I also hope that we, like the Apostle, are men and women of action, men and women of obedience, who, when we rise from prayer, we then obey God and do pursue growth in Christ. We are to grow strong in the Lord. It is the command that He gives. And I think that this little phrase, in the Lord, is very important. For the Lord is the source of all true strength. Paul does not merely say, Be strong. But instead, he says, Be strong in the Lord. And to make the point even more clear, he adds these words saying, And in the strength of his might. That is, in the strength of the Lord's might. And we must recognize this, friends, that we are not strong in and of ourselves. Any strength that we do have is from God. This is true even for those who do not believe in God, though they might think, Otherwise, pride is a very dangerous thing. And in pride, sinful men and women do imagine themselves to be strong when in reality they are very weak and very frail. I don't know if you've ever just stood astonished at this, looking upon someone who does not have faith in Christ, someone who, who does, not, does not believe in God, and to, to just witness their, their boasting, to witness their pride, to witness their arrogance. You look upon them and you say, you think that you are so strong, but your life is, is but a vapor. It is, in fact, so frail and, and, and so weak. It's here one moment. It can be gone in the next moment. We are in reality very frail and weak as human beings. In fact, we humans are not only frail and weak, we are nothing apart from God. God is our creator. We would not exist apart from Him. And He is our sustainer. We would not continue to exist were it not for His preservation of us. He is the self-existent one. He is the one who has life in Himself But we are not these things. We owe our existence to God. And every breath we breathe is a gift from Him. And yet, as I have already said, so many live as if they themselves are strong. As the prophet Isaiah says, "...all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass." The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The Christian knows this. I trust that the Christian knows this. The Christian understands that our existence is owed to God. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. We confess that our life is in His hands. Every breath is a gift that He provides for our daily bread. And every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We confess these things to be true. We know this to be true. But I think we sometimes forget to live as if it were so. Sometimes we forget to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Sometimes we do grow complacent. Sometimes we slip back into those old habits of looking for strength within ourselves. But brothers and sisters, we must send our roots deep down into God for our strength. We must abide in Christ, the living vine, if we hope to have life in ourselves and to bear much fruit as His people. And so be strong, that is the command, but do not forget that we are to be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might. We must not forget where our strength is found. The source of all strength is God in Christ. He is infinitely powerful. His strength is inexhaustible. And this is why the psalmist has said, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And this is why the apostle has said in another place, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong, the apostle says. That is, that is the, the strange thing about life and about the Christian life. When we are weak, when we acknowledge that we have nothing within ourselves, no strength within ourselves, it is then that we are truly strong. And so, grow strong is the command. Do not be content with faith that is weak, be strong. But be sure to draw your strength not from within, but from the Lord and the strength of His might. One question that we might ask is, well, how do we do this? How do we draw our strength from the Lord? How do we accomplish this, practically speaking? And the scriptures, they do use a variety of terms and a variety of analogies to teach us what it means to grow strong in Christ I'm thinking of that famous passage in John 15 which I've already alluded to in the sermon where Christ exhorts His disciples to abide in Him. It's a beautiful image that He uses there in John 15. Just as a branch cannot live apart from the vine, neither can we live apart from Christ, much less bear fruit. We must abide in Christ. And, and how do we abide in Him? Well, in that passage, the, Christ Himself makes it very clear uh, that we abide in Christ by keeping His commandments. I'm also reminded of that parable that Jesus Himself taught where He compared the house built upon the sand and the house built upon the rock. While both appeared to be strong for a time, only one was truly strong, for only one of those houses had a strong foundation. And how do we come to build our lives upon a strong foundation. Well Christ says in Matthew seven twenty-four, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Again, to be strong in Christ is to hear his words, to believe them and to obey them. And here in Ephesians, Paul uses the analogy of armor to teach us how we are to grow strong in the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so here we find another command. The first was, grow strong. The second clarifies how we are to grow strong in the Lord. We are to do so by putting on the whole armor of God. The items of this armor will be detailed for us in the next passage, which we will consider next sunday lord willing but for now it will suffice to say that these pieces of spiritual armor the belt the breastplate the shoes the shield the helmet and the sword they all have reference to christ and to his word in paul's analogy they all have reference to christ and to his word to his word in paul's analogy remember that the belt that we are to put on is the belt of truth We are to remember that the breastplate that we are to put on is is called the breastplate of righteousness. That is, it is Christ's righteousness imputed to us and received by faith. We We are to put that on. We are to apply it to ourselves daily. The shoes that we are to put on are the preparedness of the gospel. The shield is called a shield of faith. The helmet is called the helmet of salvation. And the sword is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So, When Paul commands us to put on the armor of God, he is commanding us to daily gird ourselves with Christ and with His Word. We are to clothe ourselves with the truth of Christ. We are to clothe ourselves with His righteousness, His gospel, our faith in Him, the salvation that is ours through Him. The Christian is to daily take up the sword of the Spirit, that is to say, the Word of God, so that we might fight with it. This is how we are to grow strong, by daily dressing ourselves for spiritual battle, which means that we are to take Christ and His Word, and we are to apply it to the mind and to the heart, to the waist and to the feet, indeed to the whole of our being, so that we might be able to stand firm in Him and in His truth. As I have said, we will consider the pieces of this spiritual armor more carefully on the next Lord's Day, but for now, I want to make three general observations about the command that is found here in verse 11 to put on the armor of God. One, Paul describes this armor as the armor of God. This does not mean that it is the armor that God wears, God does not need armor, but that this is the armor that God provides. This is the spiritual armor that Christ wore in His earthly ministry. There was a reason I read that Isaiah 59 passage at at the beginning of the sermon. There the prophet spoke of the Christ who would come, the Redeemer. And one thing that this Redeemer did is He he clothed Himself with a breastplate of righteousness. Perhaps you noticed that. Uh, So this is the armor that Christ Himself wore in His earthly ministry and this is the armor that God gives to his people, those who are united to Christ by faith. In Christ, we have not only the forgiveness of sins, we have not only reconciliation with God and an eternal inheritance, but all that we need to live victoriously in this world, including this spiritual armor. Truly, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Who called us to his own glory and excellence? That is Second Peter one three. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? the Apostle says in another place. He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here Paul is encouraging the Christian saying that you have not only the forgiveness of sins and this wonderful inheritance that we will enjoy in the life to come, but God has graciously provided you with, with all that you need in Christ. Again. One of the things that God has provided His people with is spiritual armor. This is the armor of God, the the armor that God supplies. Two, the apostle commands the Christian, each and every Christian, to put on the whole armor of God, the whole armor of God. The English words, whole armor, they translate one Greek word, panoplia, And one Greek lexicon defines panoplia as a complete set of instruments used in defensive or offensive warfare, usually, however, with emphasis upon defensive armament, including helmet, shield, breastplate. It means weapons or armor. But here I am drawing your attention to the fact that that God has provided us with a whole set of armor, a complete set of instruments used in defensive or even offensive warfare. We are to put on not just one piece or another, but the whole armor of God that God has provided His people with. Three, the Apostle commands the Christian to put on this complete set of armor. God has provided it for you in Christ, but here Paul is commanding you to put it on. You must... Daily gird yourself for battle. I do wonder how many Christians do go about the day while leaving their armor at home. They're on the floor. It has been provided for them, but they have failed to clothe themselves with it. Therefore, they go out into the world exposed. As I've already said, one of the principal ways that the Christian puts this spiritual armor on is through prayer. This is why the apostle will eventually tell us to Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And so daily and continual prayer is one of the principal ways that the Christian puts on this armor which God has supplied. As a soldier of the Lord, we are to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil this prayer is the prayer that the christian is to pray and he's to pray it daily and as we pray we are among other things girding ourselves for battle applying this spiritual armor to ourselves that has been provided for us by our god and when we speak to god in prayer we must also allow him to speak to us through his word by Receiving God's Word by believing it and obeying it and by speaking to God in prayer. This is how we as God's people do in fact put on this complete armor which God has supplied. And so I might ask you, are you girding yourself for battle, Christian? Are you daily and even momentarily putting on the belt, the breastplate, the shoes which God has given you? Are you taking up this shield? Are you applying the helmet and taking up the sword? Are you dressing For battle? Or have you grown complacent? Have you grown apathetic? Finally, in this passage, we come to the reason that is given for this armor. Why do we need it? Why do we need this armor? And the answer that is given here by the apostle is so that we might be able to stand against the schemes of our fierce enemy, that is to say, the devil. If you do not believe that we have an enemy, if you are not convinced that there is a battle that rages in the spiritual realm, then you will certainly not put on the armor of God. But if you understand that there is a war that rages between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, then you will prepare for battle. So do you believe that a war rages? I mean, think of this, a Roman centurion, there he has the armor hanging on the wall. It has been provided for him by his government. He does not put that armor on each and every day if there is peacetime, does he? Certainly, that armor would be most uncomfortable to wear. It would be a chore to get it on. It would be heavy and burdensome to wear uh, throughout the day. If it is peacetime, he will not gird himself with that armor. But if there is a battle that is raging, if the enemy is at the gates, he will put it on. He certainly will, knowing that this armor is necessary for for success in the battle. And so it is in the Christian life. If we do not first of all believe, if we do not recognize that there is a spiritual battle that is raging, we will not bother to put this spiritual armor on. That takes effort. You have to be diligent in this. You have to be persistent in this. You have to put time into it. You have to bow your knees in prayer. You have to take up and read the Word of God. You have to meditate upon it. You have to memorize the Scriptures. You will not go to the trouble of doing any of that if you have bought into the lie that we are at peace time, that there is really no threat to us. But if you know and if you believe that there is a spiritual battle that is raging, you will, in fact... Put this armor on. You won't dare approach the day without it, in fact. And at the end of verse 11, Paul states the purpose for putting on the armor of God. In his own words, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is our spiritual adversary. He does not work alone, but through the angels who fell with him at the beginning of time and through the world that remains under his power Paul refers to the schemes of the devil. We must remember that the devil himself is crafty. He is deceptive. He does not always attack head on, but often from behind or from the side. He attacks in ways that we might not expect, and he seeks to capitalize on our weaknesses. In fact, he loves to lull us into this sense of complacency and then to attack at an opportune time. The Christian must remember that our enemy is cunning. Deceptive. We must be ever on the lookout, therefore. We must be weary of his schemes. We must look out for the schemes of the devil. We must stand against them. And Paul's desire is to see us stand. There is, of course, a sense in which the church of Christ is to advance the kingdom of God in this world. There is a sense in which the church is to be advancing. She is to do this through the proclamation of the gospel. The planting of churches, the discipleship of believers. Jesus promised that His church would advance in this world until He returns. When He spoke to Peter, saying, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build My church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The image there is that of the church advancing and pushing back the, kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness. So indeed, the church is to advance. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But here, in this passage, Paul is calling us to take a stand against the onslaughts of the evil one. Here the Christian is to recognize that they will always be under attack. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the apostle says. And again in verse 13 he says, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And so here is why we are to put on this armor so that we might take a firm stance against the schemes of the evil one as the evil one himself attacks. The armor that God has provided is well suited for such a task. Armor for the body, a shield to extinguish the flaming arrows that the evil one will throw our way and to deflect his blows, and then a sword to fight back with so that we might withstand him in the evil day. And in verse 12, the apostle more precisely identifies our enemy when he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so we do not only have the devil and his schemes to contend with, but also the demons, those angels who fell with him, at the beginning of time. That is what Paul is here referring to as he talks about the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth is the physical world that we observe with our physical eyes. But the heavens there that are mentioned in Genesis 1.1 that God created in the beginning of time, they are invisible to us. God's glory is uniquely manifest in the heavenly realm. The angels exist in this heavenly realm, that is to say the spiritual and invisible realm. And there are fallen angels too. We must remember this, spiritual beings who oppose God and His people. And what Paul is saying here is that our fight is with them ultimately. The Christian must remember this. There is a spiritual battle that rages. How how prone we are to think that our fight is with things of this world ultimately. When it is not, we do not "'Wrestle against flesh and blood,' the Apostle says. "'If we did, then physical armor would do. "'But the battle is not physical. "'It is spiritual. "'And so we must gird ourselves for spiritual battle "'with God's spiritual armor. "'This spiritual battle does manifest itself "'in the physical realm, of course. "'The evil one is prince of this world. "'But the battle is heavenly and spiritual "'before it is physical. "'And we must never forget this as God's people.' We are so prone to forget this, though. We tend to believe only what we see with our natural eyes. But what we see with our eyes are the effects of a spiritual battle that rages in the heavenly realm. We must not forget that battle, that invisible battle that rages behind the visible. We must see that battle with eyes of faith. And if we forget about that battle, then we will find ourselves fighting the wrong fight, ultimately. And we will find ourselves fighting with the wrong weapons. Think about that for a moment, church if we forget about that spiritual battle that rages behind the earthly realm and in the spiritual realm, we will find ourselves fighting with the wrong weapons. We will find ourselves putting on the wrong kind of armor. Christians must be mindful of the spiritual battle that rages and they must clothe themselves daily for this kind of battle. God's spiritual armor is needed Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of of evil in the heavenly places. I am pleading with you, brothers and sisters, to not forget about this battle. As your pastor, I am pleading with you to not grow complacent, to not grow apathetic. For too many times I have seen those who profess Christ grow complacent and apathetic. And all of a sudden they're blindsided by the enemy that they forgot. Because they've been negligent. They have forgotten to clothe themselves for battle. They began to think that they were living in peacetime. When in fact there was all along a war that was raging. We must obey what the apostle here has commanded We must grow strong in the Lord. We must put on this armor that God has provided, for we have an enemy who is cunning and fierce. Lord, give us eyes to see. Help us to know for sure that there is a battle that rages all about us in the spiritual realm. May we wake each day being mindful of our enemy who is crafty and fierce, and may we have the wisdom to dress for battle, lest we be overrun by him. Make us strong, O Lord, That we might indeed stand firm in these evil days for our good and your glory. That should be our desire. Let us bow for a word of prayer. God, we are grateful that you have provided us with everything we need in Christ Jesus. You have not merely saved us. What a blessing that is to be saved, to be justified, to be forgiven. What a blessing it is to know that if we are in Christ, we will have that wonderful inheritance, the new heavens and new earth. But Lord, you have left us here for a time, according to your wisdom, to sojourn, to sometimes suffer in this world, to fight against the kingdom of darkness, to advance it, and also to be on the defensive as the enemy attacks. But you have given us everything we need. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us discernment to see the need that we have to dress ourselves for battle daily. May we each one, individually and as families and as a church, gird ourselves for battle and thus bring glory to your name. In the name of Christ we say these things. Amen.